break out of hopelessness. Today we, we study in John chapter 4 the, the story of a woman from the country of Samaria who had an encounter with Jesus that moved her from being hopeless to becoming hopeful. Encountering Jesus changed her from hopeless to hopeful. Shunned by her peers, disillusioned by multiple partners, but missing out on love, this woman was engaged by Jesus as she provided him with a cool drink on a hot day. The, the theological discussion that followed moved from evading his teaching to embracing his teaching. It, it culminated in a community-wide impact that changed her entire village forever. And this unlikely evangelist found hope and then shared it generously with, with all she knew. Why wouldn't we do the same with all of our friends? As I approached this message, I was wondering what would be a way to portray the transformation of a, a bad girl becoming a believer, of a tramp who underwent a transformation, of an outcast who morphed into an optimist, of a loner who became a leader. How could we introduce this 2,000-year-old story to those who don't know it? So today we would convey the story in a music video with, with song. If the story of the Samaritan woman were conveyed today and compressed into a four-minute music video, I wonder what it might look like and sound like. It might be something like this. Can we black out? It might look something like that. So <laughs> I, I think I can say with certainty that we are the only church in America that will have that video today. Let's, let's get into our text, John chapter 4. First, we, we see a request in verses 4 to 15. Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had gone through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Due to the, the racial prejudice against the Samaritans, many would walk extra miles out of their way to avoid stepping in Samaritan territory. Not so with Jesus. He loved all people, and he felt the need to go through Samaria rather than avoid it. And even at this early point in his three-year earthly ministry, Jesus showed love for all people of all backgrounds, not just the Jews. This site, Jacob's Well, where he sat down, is one of the few biblical sites that there is no dispute. It's one of the places where you can point and say, without question, Jesus sat directly within the circumference of this well. When, verse 7, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman, let me add this before we go on. So this is at the heat of the day. And so typically the ladies would come early in the morning and then late at the end of the day to draw water. The fact that she was there alone in the heat of the day suggests that she was not wanting to encounter anybody or ridicule because she had a bad reputation. And so the, the woman, verse 9, says, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 700 years of racial prejudice had kept these two cousin races at odds with each other. The Assyrians had invaded Israel in 722 B.C., and the Samaritan people were the, the mixed race resulting from the intermarriage between the Jewish remnant and the uh, conquering Assyrians. They were viewed as sympathizers with the enemy, and they were deeply despised by full-blooded Jews. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. But what began as a request from Jesus for a cool drink on a hot day, began with this woman on a spiritual odyssey that, that, that culminated in her requesting living water. As we read on, we, we see a revelation in, in verses 16 through 26. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The, the fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is, is quite true. And a searchlight is turned on her life, and she immediately tries to deflect its penetrating rays by trying to sidetrack him with a, a theological question. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. R.C. Foster observed that when the Samaritan woman questioned Jesus whether Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim was the correct place for worship, Jesus' reply swept aside one of the central propositions of the Old Testament law. That is the sentiment that there 
must be one central place of worship. That was true in the Old Testament, such as the tabernacle or the temple. But now Jesus was making it clear it's not a matter of location, but of spirit and truth when it comes to finding God. Correct belief must unite with a sincere spirit. And the truth he has revealed must be accepted by actual assimilation in a human spirit brought into harmony with the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, or in in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I I know that Messiah, called the Christ, is, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. As we read on in John 4, we see next that Jesus began to replace her hopelessness with hope. We, we see a, a redirection in verses 27 through 35. And just then his disciples returned and, and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Uh, generally, that didn't happen. Women were treated as second-class citizens, and a man wouldn't engage in a conversation publicly with a woman. But, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking to her? And then leaving her water jar, the, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Do you notice the the evolution of her respect for Jesus? She she first called him Jew in in verse 9, and then Sir in verse 11. And then in verse 19, she used the designation prophet. And then she invites her city to come and see the Christ. There was this redirection that took place from this conversation. Verse 31 says, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone else have brought him food? And Jesus is saying, Guys, I can go on this for a long time. This is what fuels my soul. This is what excites me. This is what ignites my passion, telling people who are lost how to find salvation. He said, this is a rush. I Keep the happy meal. I'll, I'll eat later. Right now, I, I don't need it. 
He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Do you not say four more months and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And some scholars believe that as Jesus made that statement, he was pointing at the people from the town who were walking out to hear him teach. And there was this throng of people approaching them. And he says, they are ready for the picking. They are ripe. They are spiritually at a place where they'll hear my message today. Finally, the fourth R is is response we see in this chapter, verses 39 to, to 42, if you want to follow along there. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Jesus taught them. They were hanging on his every word. He said, well, it's, it's getting late. Uh, we probably better, you know, shut down for, for today. He said, they said, don't leave. Keep going. Teach tomorrow. Stay here. Spend some time in our village, please. We, we, we want to know more. We've never heard anything like this before. Verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. When I ministered in in Miami town, a member of the church, Christine Milton, had been in the hospital for several days, and her, her young grandson had not been permitted to see her. And so he drew the erroneous conclusion that his grandmother must have died while at the hospital. His parents tried to convince him she's, she's alive and she's recovering from her operation. You'll, you'll see her next week. But he just couldn't believe that. So they called her room and put her on the phone to speak directly with his grandmother. And he began to ask her a series of very specific questions that only she would be able to answer in order to confirm her identity. It was only then that he was finally convinced to accept the truth that his grandmother was indeed alive and well. And and here in this story, this Samaritan woman became convinced that Jesus was who he had claimed to be, the Messiah, the, the giver of hope to the hopeless. There's a tombstone found in Lock Hill Cemetery outside of San Antonio. It bears a painful inscription. It was chiseled into the tombstone on the northern end of that cemetery, and it marks the destination of the body of a woman named Grace Llewellyn Smith. There's no date of birth listed, no date of death, just the names of her two husbands and in the following epitaph. Sleeps, but rests not. Loved, but was not, was loved not. Tried to please, but pleased not. 
died as she lived alone. Words of futility. I wonder about her life. I wonder if she had selected those words in advance or had just lived them and they described her. I wonder if she deserved the pain or if she was bitter, if she was beaten down. I wonder if she was plain. I wonder if she was beautiful. I wonder why some lives are so fruitful and and others feel so futile. How many Grace Llewellyn Smiths are there within the sound of my voice? How many people will will die in that loneliness in, in which they are living? Any man who doubts what the world needs him, any woman who is convinced that no one really cares, any person who's been given a ring but never a heart, criticism but never a chance, a bed but not rest, these are the victims of futility, hopelessness. Unless someone intervenes, unless something happens, then the epitaph of Grace Smith will be theirs. But as we go through this fourth chapter of John, we've exegeted our our text, studying the historical context. Before we close, I, I want to quickly go beyond that point and have us enter the text and, and try to feel what this woman must have felt that day when she encountered Jesus and experienced life change. And allow this description from Max Licato to, to help us do so. He writes, her eyes squint against the sun, her shoulders stoop under the weight of the water jar, Her feet trudge, stirring dust on the path. She keeps her eyes down so she can dodge the stares of the others. She is a Samaritan. She knows the sting of racism. She is a woman. She's been married to five men, five different marriages, five different beds, five different rejections. She knows the sound of slamming doors. She knows what it means to love and receive no love in return. Her current mate won't even give her his name. He only gives her a place to sleep. Here she comes. Have you heard? She's got a new man. They say she'll sleep with anyone. Shh, here she is. And so she came to the well. She expected silence. She hoped for solitude. Instead, she found one who knew her better than she knew herself. He was seated on the ground, legs outstretched, hands folded, back resting against the well. His eyes were closed. She stopped and looked at him. She looked around. No one was near. She looked back at him. He was obviously Jewish. What was he doing here? His eyes opened, and and now hers ducked in embarrassment. She went quickly about her task. Sensing her discomfort, Jesus asked her for water, but she was too streetwise to think that that was all he wanted was a drink. Since when does an uptown fellow like you ask a girl like me for water? She wanted to know what he really had in mind. And her intuition was partly correct. He was interested in more than water. He was interested in her heart. 
and they talked. And who could remember the last time a man had spoken to her with respect? He told her about a spring of water that would quench not just the thirst of the throat, but of the soul. And that intrigued her. Sir, give me this, this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water. Go call your husband and come back. And her heart must have, have sank, must have sunk. Here was a Jew who didn't care if she was a Samaritan. Here was a man who didn't look down on her because she was a woman. Here was the closest thing to, a, a, to gentleness that she had ever seen. And now he was asking her about that. Anything but that. Maybe she considered lying. Uh, oh, my, my husband, uh, he's busy right now. Maybe she wanted to change the subject. Per perhaps she just wanted to leave, but she stayed. And she told the truth. I have no husband. Kindness has a way of inviting honesty. And you may know the rest of the story. I, I wish you didn't. Locato says, I, I wish you were hearing it for the first time, for if you were, you'd be wide-eyed as you waited to see what Jesus would do next, because you've wanted to do the same thing. You've wanted to take off your mask. You've wanted to stop pretending. You've wondered what God would do if you opened your cobweb-covered door of secret sin. This woman wondered what Jesus would do. She must have wondered if the kindness would cease when the truth was revealed. He'll be angry. He'll leave. He'll think I'm worthless. If you've had the same anxieties, then, then get out your pen. You'll want to underline Jesus' answer. You're right. You've had five husbands. The man you're now with won't even give you his last name. No criticism, no anger, no, what kind of a mess have you made of your life lecture? No, it, it wasn't perfection that Jesus was seeking. It was honesty. And the woman was amazed. I can see you are a prophet. Translation, there's something different about you. Do you mind if I ask you something? Then she asked the question that revealed the, the gaping hole in her soul. Where is God? My people say he lives on this mountain. Your people say he's in Jerusalem. I don't know where he is. Lucata said, I, I, I give a thousand sunsets to see the expression on Jesus' face as he heard those words. Did, did his eyes water? Did he smile? Did he look up into the clouds and, and wink at his father? Of all the places to find a hungry heart, Samaria. Of all the Samaritans to be searching for God, a woman. Of all the women to have an insatiable appetite for God, a five-time divorcee. And of all the people to be chosen to personally receive the secret of the ages, an outcast among outcasts, the, the most insignificant person in the region. It's remarkable. 
Jesus didn't reveal his secret to King Herod. He didn't request an audience of the Sanhedrin and tell them the news. It it wasn't within the colonnades of a, a Roman court that he announced his identity. It was in the shade of a well in a rejected land by an ostracized woman. And his eyes must have danced as he whispered the secret, I am the Messiah. And the most important phrase in the chapter is is one easily overlooked. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Don't miss the drama of the moment. Look at her eyes, wide with amazement. Listen as she struggles for the words, you are the Messiah? And watch as she scrambles to her feet, takes one last look at this grinning Nazarene, turns and and runs, almost falls off balance and and hot-foots it toward her hometown. And she forgot her water jar, the very reason she was there, her whole purpose in being at the well. She left behind the jug that had caused that sag in her shoulders. She left behind the burden that she had brought. And suddenly the shame of the tattered romances disappeared. Suddenly the insignificance of her life was swallowed up by the significance of the moment. God is here. God has come. God cares for me. And that's why she forgot her water jar. That's why she ran back to town. That's why she grabbed the first person she saw and announced her discovery. I've just talked to a man who knows everything I did, and he loves me anyway. And the disciples offered Jesus some food. He refused it. He was too excited to eat. He had just done what he does best. He had taken a life that was drifting and given it a direction. He was exuberant. Look, he announced to disciples, pointing at the woman who was running to the village, vast fields of of human souls are ripening all around us. They're ready now for the reaping. Who could eat at a time like this? You know why the Samaritan woman was avoiding people? Because you've done the same thing. You know what it's like when you have no one to to sit by you at lunch. You've wondered what it would be like to have one good friend. You've been in love and you wonder if it's worth the pain to do it again. And you too have wondered where in the world God is. Hers is a story of hopelessness morphing to hopefulness, a story that can be yours. Uh, A symbol of that hope is the forgotten water jug. When you experience life change, you will feel the need to tell others. So right now I'm going to pray for you, and today we're going to remain seated during our invitation song, and Uh, Melena Kess is going to to come and, and sing Fill My Cup. Would you pray with me?
Dear God, we've all been sinful. We've all been far from you. We've all been lonely. And we thank you that Jesus came to take care of those, those needs of ours. We thank you for this uh, historical story of the Samaritan woman and how her life was transformed. May our lives be changed forever. And may we tell those around us in our village so that they too may experience that living water and never thirst again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.